0: Hi, this is Gary Rogowski for Splinters, or Gary Rogowski with Splinters, or Gary Rogowski with a splintered mind. Too many thoughts, too many things to consider. Consider this. The title of our chat today is, That's the This, but it's really about language. Language is fascinating. And I have some stories to to illustrate this. Isn't it remarkable that we can speak and communicate some of the time with our thoughts and our feelings and our emotions? We can say, this is what I want from you, and maybe we get it. Sometimes people understand us. Language is a phenomenon that we've developed to an amazing extreme. Thousands of languages available still for us to use today. I know only two and a half sometimes I wonder about those, my ability with those. I, I sort of know English. I've been speaking it for, for some time. I do know dog. Uh, very easy to learn if you have treats in your pocket. It's a very simple language. Uh, the dog whispering part is pretty easy after that. And I sort of know French, but I can read it enough just to say, incroyable, and that's about it. We are, of course, not the only species that can communicate with ourselves. Whales and dolphins are known to speak to one another. Dogs know something is up when they sniff each other's butts. A fine greeting I'm glad we have not adopted. Birds send greetings and warnings to one another. Cats? Well, cats have a language, but they're not sharing it. Bees and ants have a complex system of communicating with one another. They can exchange information at each meeting, if only in the quickest wags of their heads or tails and to indicate the direction of the stash and what to go after. It is astonishing. It really is. But there are techniques, and then there are techniques. There are ways in which we can get our message across, and other times when we misstate our needs, uh, or it gets misheard. There are also times when someone can say something completely nonsensical, and we still can get our meaning across. Or we can say something so logical and clear, at least to ourselves, and fail miserably to get the sense of those words into another person's head. How is this possible? Here are some stories to illustrate my point. Those of you who have taken a class with me know that I often admit to an addiction problem before the group. I ask for everyone's understanding, and then we move on. I say simply, hi, my name is Gary, I have a problem, I collect old machines. And it uh, wasn't always like this, but old cast iron, uh, and if you're listening, Dave, down in Eugene, who has a shrine to old cast iron, an amazing collection of old machines, uh, old cast iron has a, like a deep baseline hidden inside of it, hidden inside his pores. So that's, that's very hard for me to resist. And say what you want about hand tools and their lovely qualities. And I I do love my old hand tools, my old Stanley 103 that doesn't work very well, and my mallets from my daddy. And, you know, there are some things, some hand tools. I just, they're great. But an old piece of cast iron has a different kind of weighty beauty, I think. Old cast iron collects history. It resonates with the past. You turn on an old machine and it seems like, Life itself is being reborn, like something ancient and knowing has, has been revived. And it has, hasn't it? The old machine starts to get up to speed because it doesn't pop right on. And you think, yeah, this is how it should sound. This is how it should look. Formidable, impressive, heavy, and determined. A bit slow, but purposeful. Scary, even, but exact, dangerous. The cast iron which to a modern machinery engineer's mind is dead weight, is exactly that. It is weight added to the beast of the machine to dampen the vibration of it. And these are not finely tuned machines we're talking about here. When a machinist looks at a woodworking machine, he scoffs. He goes, This is this is this is terrible. The tolerances are measured to a thousandth of an inch. That's nothing. But then the old designs added all this cast iron to them to eliminate the jittering, the jumpiness that vibration causes with movement. I replaced the belt on my uh, newest drill press, which is forty years old. Nice old jet, nice nice machine. And the belt had worn out, so I replaced the belt and I, you know, put it on the on the pulleys and it spun it and seemed fine. I turned it on and the pulley over the motor just blew apart. It exploded. All I could assume was that I had the tension too tight on it. You know, the new belt was too much for that old pulley, and it just shattered. So I went and bought a cheap replacement, and I put it on the machine, and it vibrated so much. It's such a cheap casting that it just moved the machine all over the place. I had to clamp it eventually to to the table it was on. And so that wasn't so great. Paul and I my assistant tried to fix it by sanding it and, you know, turn the machine on and sand it, try and eliminate some of the bumpiness to it. I mean, that worked a little bit. And finally, Jeff uh, came by and Jeff tunes up old machines. And Jeff said, Yeah, I think I got a pulley for you. You know, so he brought that and, and put it on. And if you look at old pulleys or bandsaw wheels, for that matter, Uh, on old machines, you'll notice, maybe not on the front side, but on the back side, you'll see these little drill holes, little points where someone has drilled maybe once or twice or 15 times, whatever it takes, to balance the, the wheel out or balance the pulley out. Because if the casting isn't perfect, then you're going to get vibration. You're going to get run out in the Movement and that's going to cause vibration, and a drill press is going to make for a hole that's not quite round on a machine like a table saw or a bandsaw or a sander. you name it, you're going to get vibration on the work surface on the table. It's going to make it harder to do accurate work. I used to be completely perplexed by my six inch paromatic joiner. I couldn't get that thing to give me a square cut. I would spend half an hour trying to get a square cut out of it. It took me years to figure out that there was a bow in the fence. I'd never checked it along its length. You know, last podcast was about straight, and I had checked it for square to the table, but I had never thought of checking it for straight along its length. And when I did, I found out that there was a bow in it, and that bow meant that I was checking in different spots, and, you know, a bow like that isn't consistent all the way along. And yeah, Anyway, introduced it introduced error. And, uh, God, I spent so much time messing with that. And I remembered that years ago, I was at Barbo Machinery, and this was when Rand was running the... No, Rand's father was running the place. But Rand was there, and he was working on a fence of another joiner. Maybe it was a table saw. And he had it on the floor, and he was jumping on it. He had it set on the floor between a couple of 2 by 4s and he was jumping on it. I was terrified. I thought he was going to break it. But he said, no, this is... This is what you do when, when cast iron gets a little wow in it. You bang on it and try and get it to remember its original casting position. But see, things like that have, uh, have changed. Fifty years ago, cast iron was made differently. It wasn't rushed through the process and frozen, cryogenically treated, and machined right away. Cast iron engine blocks, cast iron machine parts were cast and then set out in the yard for two or three years. They rusted, they moved, they twisted, they did whatever they wanted, and then they were machined. But all that twisting and movement kind of, I don't know, aired out of them. It just disappeared over time. They sat and untwisted after their hot beginning as, as molten steel, and they stayed put that way unless you got a newer casting And like I saw Rand jumping up and down on this piece of cast iron. But old cast iron makes the sheet steel bandsaws that we get these days look kind of pitiful. You look at a new new bandsaw and you think, really? This is it? Now, don't get me wrong, there are some fine machines being made today. But there are tons, literally tons of old machines out there to be found and reconditioned and brought back to life. And my neighbor down the street knew that I was a woodworker, probably from the sign on my truck. And said, hey, you know, I got an old bandsaw I want to get rid of. You interested in it? Said, if you, you pull it out, it's yours for 500 bucks. I went down, I looked at it, I went, oh, good-sized bandsaw, a 20-inch Walker-Turner. I said, okay. So I had my uh, resident at the time help me get it out of the basement and move it to the shop. And there it sat for a couple, two, three years, just sort of taking up dead space. But like most machines, you see one, you fall in love with it, you bring the machine, you know, flowers and butter it up, and then put it in in your shop, and then you don't do anything to it. It just sits there for a while. There are other machines that your eye turns to. It happens. Don't judge me. So Jeff and I were taking apart this bandsaw that I wanted to move to my my new shop. I think I've I've told you about this a, a few years back. I I bought a Well, (laughs) a couple of shacks uh, up the Columbia River Gorge. And and one of them was a couple of walls stuck on the side of a fifth-wheel trailer. And that was to become my small, almost 600-square-foot shop. And the other was a three-car garage shop that had been converted, loosely I use the word, converted into a house. The front door of this house opened into the bathroom of course. Brilliant design. So it was a place with potential. Let's just put it that way. Speaking about language, I hired a, uh, a local contractor and, and Norm was very meticulous. I liked him uh, and he was fussy and I, that's okay. He had a couple of problems and one was he got cancer and uh, he died within a year and a half of getting started on the job and that was that was tough. That was really tough. But the other thing that Norm would do and this, <laughs> I, this drove me nuts. But I didn't say anything. Norm would start talking to me about a project, and he'd say, "Well, you know, we're going to have to put some two by twos up here, and then we're going to run this." Do you know what a two by two is? And I would stop, and I just wouldn't say anything. I'd say, "Yes, I know what a two by two is." And he did that like three or four times. He'd say, "You know, we're going to have to run some, uh, some joists here, and we're going to probably do it use a two by twelve. Do you know what a 2x12 is? Yeah, Norm. I, I do, Nor know what a 2x12 is. A, anyway, he, he was meticulous. And wanted to make sure I knew what those terms were that he was bandying about. But fortunately, I did. Anyway, I am uh, still trying to get this shop set up. And I thought, you know, of all the things I need in the shop, I don't have The most important machine I don't have. I got a chop saw and I got a little portable table saw and a router, but I don't have a bandsaw. I can't resaw anything. I can't make little parts. I can't cut up curves. You know, it's... So I need a bandsaw. I have a 20-inch walker-turner sitting in my shop. So it was too heavy for me to move by myself. So I thought, well, let's start seeing what we could take off of it. Now, the wheels had these rubber tires on it that were pretty beat so when i first got it that first summer a few years back i replaced the the rubber tires now that was a challenge and i was trying to put these tires on and they just kept popping off because the rubber was so tight on them owen lovely man from australia who was visiting Said, "Well, you should do what we do when you know, we're trying to get a tire on a on our mountain bikes when we're riding. Just set it out in the sunshine and let it warm up." I thought, "Well, that's a good idea." Put the rubber tire out in the sun, and yeah, sure enough, brought it back in an hour later, and it was it was just as flexible as all get out. And so I just stretched it over the uh, stretched it over the wheel, and I was ready to go. So Jeff and I were working on this, trying to tear this machine apart remembering to eyeball where all the bolts went and make sure I remembered how it was going to go back together. You know, the top wheel just lifts off the casting, and the table came off, the motor came off. Anyway, there's a lot that I could get off the body of the machine, and then I could put it on a hand truck and move it myself. So it was ready to go, and I was out of town for a little bit, and I called Jeff off, and I said, i got to figure out the size of that machine so I can order a blade for it. So measure that old bandsaw and tell me, uh, tell me what I need to uh, need to order. And so he went and he said that the wheels are 16 inch diameter and the distance between them is 24. So let's do the math. Two pi r is the circumference of a circle. So that's 3.1416 times 16 inches, which is roughly about 50 inches, plus two times the distance between the wheel centers. So that's 48. So it makes about a blade that's about 98 inches long. I called it 99. And I told Jeff, I'll, I'll order a blade. And I did. I called up working carbide saw and ordered a blade. So you take the circumference of one wheel and the distance between the centers of the two wheels. And you do that distance twice. And that'll give you the length of your blade. And I didn't think anything about it for a while. And then I... I uh, Thought about it and I said that's that's a that Walker Turner is not a it's not a sixteen inch it's a twenty inch I you know I thought about it and I, I thought I should call Jeff up and, and see and I said you you are sure about the size of this he said yep, sixteen inch and I thought okay but then I thought about it some more and I knew that, that I'd forgotten that it was a twenty inch I mean it had been that long since I looked at it and put the tire on it. And I said, I I called Jeff again and I said, so that old bandsaw of mine is a 20-inch, the one that's right behind the Laguna bandsaw. He said, no, your old Yates American that's right near your bench, that's a 16-inch. And I go, well, I know that's a 16-inch, but the one I wanted was a 20-inch, was that Walker Turner. But I said old bandsaw, I hadn't specified Walker Turner. I had in my mind, but he didn't hear that. Not his fault. So I called up Oregon Carbide and I said, "I ordered the wrong blade. I'll still take it, but you got to give me a a different size." Which on the Walker Turner is stamped on on the upper casting. I think it's seven foot one inch or something. And they said, "Oh, no big deal. Well, we can that ninety nine inch length is a real common size, so we'll we'll sell it." What size do you need? And I told them the size, and yeah, they were great about it. So I got a blade for the machine. Another time, another instance of, of language failing was, uh, so I'm, I'm out here in Lyle, and, and it's sort of a transition zone of, of forests. So it's going from fir forest to a drier climate of pine and, and oak. And I'd called up Department of Natural Resources, which gives you some guidance on how to, how to manage your land. And I have just a few acres, but you know, there's some trees I wanted to take down. And so I hired a guy, told Robert, okay, so we want to take down these fir trees. And uh, DNR is going to help me with the cost of taking these down, partial payment for the cost. So what I want you to do is drop them, figure out your time, and then we'll buck them up for, uh, for firewood. And then I'll pay you separate for that. But this pine tree that's drop down this log that's sitting in my driveway. Don't cut that up. Just limb that and just buck up this other stuff. Because I wanted to keep the pine tree for timber and just have the firs bucked up as, as firewood. So what did he do? He left the fir trees that he dropped on the side of the hill and didn't buck those up at all and bucked up the pine log that was sitting on my driveway. And when Dan from DNR came by, I explained this story to him. I said, I told him exactly what I wanted. I wanted you to buck up the fir trees after you dropped them and leave this pine tree alone. And he did exactly the opposite. And Dan said, you know, you know, my wife says to me, you know, I speak English to you, but you still don't understand what I'm saying sometimes. And that's just how it goes. Language. So back to my bandsaw. Jeff and I were taking it apart Actually, what we did was, once I got the blade, we put it on there and tried it out. Once it looked like it was running just great, then we decided to, let's pull this thing apart. And we did. In the dismantling of this machine, I pulled off the uh, carriage for the table that tilts. The tilting carriage, I suppose, is a way to describe it. And uh, it's attached to the main body of the casting and then i was looking at uh the blade guard and the post that it rides on and there's a screw attached to that and i had all these parts that i was looking at and all this stuff and i turned to jeff cuz i i got confused by the number of things in there in my hands and i said what's this and he turned to me and said that's the this <laughs> and as soon as he said that, I knew exactly what he was talking about, because he had one in his hand. He said, that's the this. And that's a sentence that makes no sense at all. And yet I knew exactly what he was saying. It's, it just struck me as fascinating. How someone can say something so illogical, and someone else gets it, and then you try and be as logical as possible, and someone else doesn't understand you at all. Language. That's the this of it. <laughs> so I I urge you, particularly in this time when we are not face to face, when we are on computers and zooming and skyping and doing all this stuff FaceTiming, that you do your best. Listen carefully to the language. Don't don't find meaning where there is none, or guess at it. You can always ask a simple question, what did you mean by that? <laughs> Clarity, oh, it's so important. It's so important. Well, thanks very much for listening. I've blathered on long enough about this and that. And appreciate your support on coffee and asking questions. I'm always happy to answer those that show up on the coffee site. And check out our YouTube page. I'm trying to put more videos up these days. One can only hope that we will be seeing each other again soon. Sooner rather than later. Hang in there. Do your best. Stay safe. Take care of one another. Adios.